Welcome to Blunder Kitchen. This week, we're talking about, honestly, one of my favorite foods, tacos. Sorry if today's recording seems a little nasally. The allergies are definitely hitting very hard. So, please bear with me. If you hear weird drinking sounds, I'm going to try and keep those to the absolute minimum, but that is me just having a quiet cup of tea while we go about our business. Today's episode is going to be a little bit shorter, um, just due to the nature of tacos kind of being a little self-explanatory when it comes to recipes. Um, The fillings are really what takes up the bulk of the recipe, and I just couldn't pick a recipe to go with. A lot of today's information comes once again from the book Planet Taco, A Global History of Mexican Food by Jeffrey M. Pilcher, but also from this excellent documentary series on Netflix, Taco Chronicles. Let's dive in. Taco, uh, it's thought to derive from one of two sources, either from the Spanish word taco, meaning plug, which refers to a plug of dynamite, which was used by silver miners in Mexico, um, which resembled tacos de ganasta, which we'll discuss a little bit later. Um, It was an explosive um, tamped down into a, a white cone of paper, which was then, you know, exploded into the mine. Um... Silver miners also tended to eat tacos de canasta, which resemble silver mining plugs in that they are tacos wrapped in white paper. Um, The other origin of the word taco is thought to come from the Nahuatl word tlaxco, meaning half or in the middle, in the middle, referring to you know, how you fold a taco in half. So, let's dive into some of this history. Tacos have kind of always been around. Um, Some of the indigenous um, tribes and peoples of Mexico uh, would eat small corn tortillas, flexible, not the hard shell tortilla that we sometimes think think of when it comes to tacos um, with a stewed meat or um, a little bit of pickled veg on the side. So that's this idea of having a a delicious bread type object surrounding uh, tasty fillings. Um, It's kind of hard to pinpoint when someone first said we should try this particular thing. So a lot of this podcast is really going to focus on how tacos made it into the mainstream as we know it today. What I love about tacos is that uh, it's this great symbol of camaraderie and friendship. You know, no, you never picture someone angrily eating a taco or like, 
eating it and not really savoring every bite and enjoying it. And that just may be, you know, my own spin, my own take on it. But whenever I think of tacos, it just reminds me of good times that I've had. You know, I'm sure that could be said for many foods, but we're focused on tacos this episode. When Mexican migrant workers uh, came to California in the early 1900s, tacos came with them. And now you think of tacos, you think of taco trucks, taco restaurants, Taco Bell, which we'll talk about very briefly. Um, You know, a place that serves only tacos, a taqueria. But in the early 1900s, I would say the first days of popularity of the taco, it wasn't like that. It wasn't the standalone item that you could purchase. Uh, It was something you ate at home or you brought with you to work. Um, or you could get as part of other meals in a sit-down restaurant dining experience. But at that time, most regional and cultural foods, most foods, were not had in restaurants. Uh, They were made at home using recipes that people had used for generations to prepare those foods. And it really wasn't until the industrialization of food that we see tacos moving from the sit-down dining experience and the home cooking experience into the fast food experience because fast food becomes more popular. Um, Tacos kind of evolved as well as other foods. So for this part, we're going to veer a little bit away from talking distinctively and only about tacos because in order to get a sense of how they were able to rise to such a prominence as where they are now, we have to really get a sense of what else is going on food-wise. So with um, the advent of many canned and pre-prepared foods, bringing down the cost of preparing foods Um, shortening the time that was needed to prepare foods, Um, you found a rise in things like frozen dinners, you know, the advent of the microwave, and the ingenuity of um, enterprising food engineers, or really just businessmen, uh, made it easier to stay at home and enjoy things like tamales or um, entrees that you could only previously get by going to, say, a Mexican restaurant and and dining there. You know, it really made it more accessible to people who necessarily would not have gone to to a restaurant. You know, instead of broadening your horizons in public with the subtle, uh, very subtle, I want to emphasize social pressures of being in a restaurant and trying a new cuisine, you could try that cuisine from the comfort of your couch with the aid of a television dinner. And, um, you know, it's not the same as going and having that restaurant experience or traveling to Mexico and having that traditional food, but it is a, a start. You, you know, I believe it was the great Lao Tzu that said, uh, every journey begins with a single step. 
And in a time, um, many, many uh, prepared foods came to rise during a time of civil unrest. I know we call it the civil rights movement, but in order to get rights, there was unrest. And it, it, it was a time where people, well, some people were actively trying not to learn about people different from themselves, but others were. And having microwaved foods available to try, I think, aided in introducing people to a culture different than theirs. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm sure some restaurateurs did, you know, have that in mind, that it could it could be a ripple effect from marketing their foods on a wide scale. Um, but I think most restaurateurs really just wanted to, well, make money, as most people who go into business do. Um, but also go with the times, you know, and create foods that would allow people to prepare dishes that reminded them of home. You know, it's not the same. The the pickled chilies were different. Um, pre-made chili. Uh, all these things were not something that were typically done, but it's, it's that thing of this is old cuisine with a new twist. Not old, like bad. Previous, it's not done before and new. It's cuisine. It's <laughs> I don't I don't have a better way of saying it. It's uh, it's the old ways of doing things, the previous ways of doing things, and new ways of doing things. Really having this great marriage, ironically, in the frozen foods aisles. And uh, I think it's important to stop and remember that during this time, I know right now we're living in a time where we're trying to get away from such overly processed fast and frozen foods, but when it was first coming up, it was new and novel, and we weren't really worried about health risk and things like that, you know? It, during that time, it was, hey, uh, let's give agency to women, um, not by changing what we expect genders to do, but by making it quicker and faster to to do these things. And perhaps unintentionally by opening up that avenue where anyone can cook. You know, you don't necessarily have to have had home training. Anyone can operate a microwave. You know, it's not a masculine or a feminine thing. Anyone can do it. And I think maybe that went a little bit of a way to breaking down traditional gender roles. But that's, we're not a podcast about that. We're a podcast about food. So getting back to the rise of fast food. So during this time, um, a restaurant that I'm sure many of us are familiar with, McDonald's, uh, began mass-producing simple hamburgers and fries. And while many restaurateurs uh, were putting out um, packaged foods, prepared foods, frozen foods, a certain Glenn Bell wanted to get on, on this fast food trend and began to open up a series of 
Mexican-inspired, we'll call them, restaurants, where he served not only tacos, but um, other foods. So, in... I don't want to mislabel the cuisine. It's not coming to mind right now. It's not my notes here. But um, a new kind of food, the puffy taco, had been coming to prominence. A puffy taco, I think what we would now refer to as a chalupa, although it's made in an entirely different way, a puffy taco was when Mesa, or I promise you guys one day I will learn how to pronounce this word Unfortunately, today is not that day. So, uh, Massa was patted out into the shape of a tortilla and then deep fried, making it fluffy or puffy. And that's the puffy taco uh, was born. And so Glenn Bell put that along with some something that Taco Bell is still producing today, a taco with what is referred to in Jeffrey Poulter's book as hamburger meat. I think now we would just refer to this as ground beef um, with lettuce and cheddar cheese in a a flour tortilla. During this time, flour tortillas were also really coming to prominence um, because they were quickly becoming cheaper and easier to produce. Uh, They last a little bit longer when packaged in stores. So, you know, along that whole wave of prepared foods, you know. So flour tortillas are really coming to prominence. And now this is not to say Glenn Bell invented the fast food taco um, or, you know, invented the hard shell taco. Many restaurateurs were pre-frying their taco shells to make a hard shell taco that was available for eating in restaurants. Glenn Bell simply popularized it through his Taco Bell restaurants, which really brought, uh, which was one step of many in bringing the taco to the prominence that it does have today. Tacos are playing a huge part, I'm going to say a huge part in defining and shaping and redefining the national cuisine of Mexico. Um, It's a great way to highlight regional techniques of food preparation, um, ingredients, while not overshadowing any single thing. Because when you prepare a taco, when you look at a taco, when you sit down to eat it, it's broken down into its simplest parts, even as it's a cohesive thing together, ready to be eaten. There are so many kinds of tacos um, due to their highly customizable nature. I wasn't really sure where to begin, um, but we're going to highlight the kinds of tacos that Netflix highlighted in their documentary, Taco Chronicles. We're going to begin by discussing Tacos al Pastor. Tacos al Pastor evolved from what was previously known as Tacos Arabes. This, ironically, much like um, the early tacos, well, the early, we'll call them the early modern tacos, 
evolved at, from migrants. Um, Arabic travelers um, brought with them shawarma and pita bread and created this Arabic taco, which was shawarma meat shaved into a pita bread. Shawarma is a way of preparing meat. Um, much like rotisserie, like an upright rotisserie, um, the meat is slowly rotated and it, it roasts day long. However, first, in order to prepare your shawarma, you're going to layer, uh, well, it depends on what, what your recipe is, but um, you're going to layer different cuts of meat on it with different levels of fattiness, and then you're going to shape it down and set it up right in its home, its rotisserie home, to, to cook and become delicious, rendering all that fat and really just setting it into the meat. Now, um, different spices can be added between layers, onions can be added, but that's that's what shawarma is. And so al pastor evolved from cooking of shawarma in this manner. Similarly to shawarma, al pastor tacos, the meat, the pork, um, is prepared by taking different cuts of pork and layering them onto a rotisserie pole, shaping them down and setting them to roast. Now pork is another thing coming from outside of Mexico, outside of Hispanic cuisine, into Hispanic cuisine. Pork was brought by the conquistadors and was introduced during that period of time and now is at home in Mexico. I don't think we can think of anything being cooked al pastor or or similarly or carnitas I, I don't think it's it's easy to to think of those food items and not think this is distinctly mexico so the difference between a taco arabes and taco al pastor is not just the substitution of pork i did fail to mention that shawarma is typically beef and lamb al pastor pork in addition, pineapple and corn tortillas. I just, my mouth is watering thinking of this. So, regional tacos like this um, have really, I know I've said this, but I just want to reiterate. It highlights cooking techniques of that area. It, according to many sources, but also... Netflix, Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico is famous for the carne asada tacos. Carne asada is meat barbecued. I have read that it is reminiscent of the days of rancheros when ranches were really big um, and in Mexico, in, you know, the days of the cowboy, I, I would say not a lot of beef or cows being ranched in this way anymore, but it lives on in the preparation of carne asada. How is this different from barbacoa? 
barbacoa is, I guess it could be called a grilled meat, but it is cooked underground. Barbacoa is cooked underground. Garnetha is cooked above ground. Garnetas, meaning little meats, um, tend to be all um, of the not so often used parks, parts of pork, pork butt, um, or rump roasts. But pork butt sounds so much like friskier. Um, uh, liver, heart, yeah, what we call awful meats. That's O F F A L. And we'll discuss that later in the podcast as well. These meats have been braised in lard, um, cooked in a technique that is everywhere I read said, oh, this technique is similar to a confit. The only thing that I can tell that is different is that it's Mexican and not French. So, in this podcast we say, in order to make a delicious carnitas, you're going to confit pork offal in lard until tender and delicious. I assume I don't really eat pork, so someone will have to try this and let me know. Describe what sounds delicious, and I'm sure tastes delicious to me. I digress. The region most famous for making the best carnitas tacos, Michoacan. Again, I apologize for my pronunciation. I did try to look for some guides. They eluded me. And we come back to the tacos de canasta. I've mentioned them a couple of times now, but we're really going to get into it. Tacos de canasta, or basket tacos, are tacos filled with a delicious filling. It tends to be a mashed potato, refried beans, carnitas, or chicken in adobo. Different from chicken adobo, which is a Filipino dish of stewed chicken, yellow curry, and potatoes, along with other delicious things. This is chicken stewed in adobo chilies. Different dish. But a little bit of filling is put in each taco. The taco is folded. It is placed in a, a basket lined with a blue plastic and hot, I mean boiling oil, is poured over it. There's no better visual than watching these delicious beauties be made. You've got to watch this this documentary, Taco Chronicles, on Netflix. It is ah, a thing of true beauty. I can't even describe it for you in ways that will do it justice. Tacos de Canasta are highly um, mobile. Um, the... Uh, vendors tend to um, street cart it by placing their baskets on their bikes, traveling to their customers. Who are their customers? Anyone walking off the street 2 a.m. Great customer. But also students, construction workers. Really just, I guess, who, who wants tacos? Like, who, who would frequent a food truck probably would also enjoy tacos de canasta. And finally, uh, the last taco we're going to highlight here is a taco guisado. Guisado meaning stewed. This is a stewed meat. Stewed chicken, stewed pork, 
stewed beef. Honestly, all of those sound delicious. We'll go over stews and stewing as it gets closer to winter, so we're just going to kind of glance over this last one. I know, I'm so sorry, I'm truly not doing it justice, but I can only keep up with these allergies for so long, and I don't want to give you guys a show that you're not going to enjoy. So we'll come back to the stewing of the meats. So, kind of a shorter episode, but that's tacos in a little bit of a nutshell. Highly portable, delicious, fantastic, bridging the gap between then and now, um, leaving room for innovation, honestly, what can't a taco do? So. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, you can find links to both Planet Taco, a global history of Mexican food by Jeffrey M. Pilcher, and a link to Watch Taco Chronicles on our social media. That's at Blender Kitchen on Instagram and at Blender KTCHN on Twitter. Next time, we're going to get into a talk that's a little bit beefy, so we might experiment with doing a two parter. See you next time.